where creative believers are encouraged to be great artists. My name is Matt Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us. would invite you to please follow or subscribe this podcast. And if you can, if it's possible, give us a five-star review on your platform. Uh, also, if you're interested in advertising on this podcast, you can inquire by writing me at mattcastworld. That's all together, mattcastworld at gmail.com. Well, this is Holy Week, an opportunity to truly reflect upon the reason why we got out of bed today. Our reason for being, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we hear the perspective of Luke chapter 24 specifically of one man who is walking home from Jerusalem in sorrow shortly after Jesus is crucified. On this day, he and his friend come upon a stranger who would unknowingly change their lives. And my friend, if you find yourself in sorrow, if, if your life seems meaningless, I pray you will engage with someone who is already standing on the side of your road. Someone who will change your life forever. Someone in this story who I call the third man. It's scary to believe in something. By definition, belief requires an element of faith. It takes nothing to believe in gravity, as none of us on earth are floating from place to place, but I was raised to believe the Holy Scriptures, that they were written by godly men who were moved by Jehovah to write as He directed them. Some of those scriptures spoke of a promised one, an anointed one, a a Messiah, who would come one day and rescue us Jewish people from the hand of our oppressor. This is the belief. This is what I based especially the last few years of my life upon. Forgive me, we've only just met and uh, I'm jumping ahead. I must go back to tell you the whole story. I come from a town called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. If you go at a leisurely pace, it'll take half a day to get there. 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread was about to start, and my friend Cleopas and I decided to travel and lodge together for the entire week. We are both humble farmers, but are able to make a decent living from the, the grain of our fields and the vineyards that we tend and the sheep that we raise. So as God instructed many generations ago, we each brought a lamb with us, a spotless lamb, to offer proper sacrifice. And each of us brought items so that we could enjoy the Passover meal together as well. But this year's feast was distinctive above all others. For a couple of years, my friend and I had been curious about this Jesus of Nazareth. Rumor had been spreading, and it wasn't the first, but there had been a rumor in our village that he might be the Messiah. I mean, I must admit, I was an immediate skeptic. There have been many messiahs that have come and gone. And Messiah and Nazareth did not belong in the same sentence, if you know anything about Nazareth. I mean, even people from Nazareth don't admit they come from Nazareth. So, needless to say, I was cynical. Yet I kept hearing about miracles he was performing, demons he was casting out, teachings he was offering that were just catching fire among the locals. He wasn't saying things that previous fake messiahs had said. Could this be the man we and so many have waited for our entire lives? Was this the beginning of the end for Rome and the end of our oppression? Well, Cleopas insisted that we take a couple of days from our fields and find Jesus wherever he was, just to see for ourselves whether these things were true. And when we came upon him that day, there were hundreds of others present to hear him teach. I mean, it was strange to look at him. He, he wore no official robes. He didn't look like a rabbi. He didn't seem to belong to a, a particular sect or group. And he didn't teach with the usual harshness that I often heard in the synagogue. I mean, every Sabbath was a reminder of what we lacked, what we did wrong, how we would never be good enough, how we could never measure up. I mean, I love God's law too. But the teachers, in addition, were adding their own rules on top of God's law. It was, it was soul-crushing to be a Jew. Yet this man had so much love, so, I mean, so much life. On one hand, he would challenge us actually more than our own rabbi, but, but he also offered hope simultaneously. He did it in such a wonderful way. I, I mean, I've never, I've never heard anything like it. Cleopas responded immediately. He, he said, I think we should follow him wherever he goes. And I replied, my friend, how can we leave our fields and livestock to waste away? I'm always the practical one. Cleopas is the dreamer. Well, as we journeyed home from that, he said we should pray about being his disciples. But weeks later, it, it became clear that we were meant to remain in Emmaus as farmers who believed. And that is what we've done. But two weeks ago, something happened just before the feast that had all of Judea talking. 
It seems that Jesus came to the town of Bethany where a family of his followers lived. It was a brother and his two sisters. Now, from what I hear, the brother's health had made a sudden turn for the worse. And he was dead within a couple of days. Meanwhile, Jesus was in another city and he didn't arrive until like four days after his death. So everyone assumed he was too late. But then apparently, and I've had a number of eyewitnesses tell me this, Jesus raised him from the dead. (laughs) I mean, rolled away a stone and called out a man in grave clothes to walk out. I, I couldn't believe it myself, but I've had the story repeated so many times from people who were there. And though I'm slower to believe than my friend, I thought, how could this man not be the Messiah? He raises the dead. So Jerusalem was a buzz as the feast was about to begin because Jesus was also going to be there as any good Jewish young man. So what did this mean? I mean, were, were there going to be fireworks? Was this, was this going to be a confrontation between the Roman soldiers and our Messiah? Any man who can raise the dead can probably handle earthly opposition. And it only seemed right for this to occur around the Passover. I mean, only, only Jehovah God could provide that kind of timing. So he arrived on the first day of the feast, riding on a small donkey. I mean, his feet were practically skidding along the ground, though hardly the animal for a man of his capabilities, I thought. I was not, I was not surprised by his choice. It actually seemed perfect for him. Well, as the feast wore on, Cleopas and I would periodically see what Jesus was doing. Unfortunately, we we missed his display of anger at the temple as he, I guess, overturned the tables of people who were price gouging the poor who had come to town, trying to purchase sacrificial animals. It was a practice I didn't care for either for many years, and it didn't make Jesus any friends either as a confrontation seemed to loom. I'm not sure how it happened, but somehow Jesus ended up getting arrested under the cover of darkness by the temple guards. Suddenly he was going to be tried by the spiritual authorities for blasphemy, for for heresy. Roman officials would be his biggest foe. Turns out it was the same people instructing us every Sabbath. Cleopas said the scribes and Pharisees felt threatened 
by how popular Jesus was becoming. Well, I thought Jesus could fix it all with a wave of his hand and show who was really boss. But that didn't happen. Next thing we heard, Jesus was being sent to Pilate in the hopes that he would be killed for breaking Jewish law. Well, not wanting to sentence Jesus himself, Pilate thought he had found a political loophole for himself. Apparently, there's a custom every Feast of the Unleavened Bread that uh, one Jewish prisoner could be released from prison. So he would offer one prisoner a pardon from the people's choosing. So to sweeten the odds for himself, he decided to choose the worst of the worst against Jesus. So he chose Barabbas. I mean, the guy tried to overthrow the government. He was ridiculous. He was He's bloodthirsty. And after he got caught, he brought us nothing but pain and misery as we felt the brunt of the discipline for what he had done. The guy was a murderer. He was someone we didn't want to be attached to. So Pilate naturally thought, surely the crowd will opt for Jesus. Well, that's when everything I understood turned upside down. The crowd was shouting for Barabbas. I mean, one of the religious officials came to us and started almost yelling at us to choose him and, and yell, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. I, I just couldn't find myself a way to do it. My countrymen, people who should have known better, some of them who were cheering him on days before, on that first day of the feast, now they were condemning him to death. Well, Cleopas remained silent as I did, and simply looked at the ground in shame. And though Jesus had done nothing, let alone murder, I couldn't help feeling disappointed. I mean, really, wasn't this the man who I thought to be the Messiah? Had I not come to believe Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one of God, who would restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, this man who I heard could raise the dead, just stood there meekly, like the weakest man on the planet, not, not even offering the slightest resistance. He suddenly had no words. All the great teachings he had done for years, now nothing came out of his mouth. Had I believed in a fraud? Had I been taken in? I guess that's how a lot of these folks felt, but I wasn't sure. And as Jesus was taken away to be whipped and killed, I just couldn't watch anymore. I was so dejected. Cleopas and I spent the rest of the feast to ourselves. Things were just too dark, too scary. Even as we left on Sunday to walk back home, there had been a couple of women saying that Jesus' tomb was empty that morning. Well, I didn't know what to make of that either. Was, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Was, was his body stolen by the disciples so they could say he rose from the dead? Did Rome steal the body so that no one else could take the body? Did the Sanhedrin do it? I mean, every theory seemed possible. There are conspiracies everywhere. This is what my friend and I discussed as we walked home to Emmaus. It was hard to know what to do next. I'm sure his disciples were in hiding. 
they, they probably flee at some point, fearing being arrested themselves. I was in no danger. I didn't have a target on my back. Jesus didn't know me for... I was always on the outside looking in. I was just someone on the fringes. But I was wounded. I mean, I felt fooled. I felt depressed. Indeed, it is always scary to believe in something. I guess Cleopas and I were so focused on ourselves that we we almost walked right past a person just standing alongside the road. Shalom, he almost shouted as we passed him. <laughs> I looked up from my dejected position and saw him standing there. He didn't look like a traveler as he had no gear or supplies with him. But he seemed like a distinguished man. Still, this was an odd place for a man to be alone. Shalom, Cleopas responded. I more or less grunted a response. He began walking with us, so I assumed he was headed in the same direction. The stranger's bright countenance looked quite different from ours. I did not mean to interrupt. What were you two discussing? It looked like an important conversation. Well, I felt dismissive and wasn't in the mood to trust this man. Where have you been living? Under a rock? I asked. How could anyone traveling to or from Jerusalem not be aware of these things? The stranger replied, What things? Well, I was too dejected to bring him up to speed. But Cleopas, in his usual enthusiastic manner, told him of the events of the past week. He informed our traveling companion of Jesus, calling him a mighty prophet and how our chief priests and rulers had delivered him to be crucified and executed. We told him what had happened that morning, how there, there were some women who had apparently seen a vision of him resurrected from the dead, but I, I just told him I believed it was wishful thinking. I mean, you know how emotional women can be. So thinking this would end the conversation, our new friend almost stopped us there in the road and surprised us by saying, you know, you two are being very foolish right now. <laughs> I mean, the nerve. Who, who does this guy think he is mouthing off like that to two guys who were nice enough to bring him into their conversation? I mean, we stopped in our tracks and I, I stared at him threateningly. But he was undeterred. You believe this man to be Messiah, am I right? We both nodded. Well, my friends, he said, I think you have forgotten all the prophecies about the Messiah. Our people have forgotten who the Messiah was prophesied to be and have replaced it with their own narrative. And before I could catch my breath, our interesting new companion launched into what I could only call the most impressive teaching I've ever heard in my life. He began in the first scroll of Moses by reminding us what Jehovah said after Adam and Eve had sinned. He cursed the snake by saying one of their descendants would crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It was clear this man knew more than he was initially letting on. 
quoted from the fifth scroll of Moses, and then Psalms, uh, many portions from the prophet Isaiah, including the fact that Messiah would be despised and rejected by men, which is exactly what happened a few days before. It was a dizzying display of scriptural knowledge, yet he wore no robes indicating him being Pharisee, scribe, or Sadducee. He recalled a portion from the prophet Micah that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which I had heard was Jesus' birthplace. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, on and on he went, indicating how the Messiah would die and how the death of Jesus was parallel to it. It was clear this man not only knew Torah, but he knew all the Holy Scriptures. His teaching may have even surpassed that of Jesus himself. My initial boost to faith, however, gave way to more pessimism. Where was the resurrection on the third day? Where was the ideal proof? Not a vision, but an actual encounter that Jesus had conquered death himself. I eventually said to our nameless friend, it's just so hard to believe at this point. We were only a few hundred miles from my home, and so I invited him and Cleopas to come in for a meal and a room for the night, if needed. He said he had further to go, but it was getting late, and I insisted. Despite what you might think of me, I do enjoy hospitality. Besides, it would take my mind off all of this. Cleopas was kind enough to light some lamps as I prepared the bread. As we did, our friend asked many questions about us, our families, and our lives. Perhaps I was so focused on my deed and answering his questions that I never got around to asking him anything. Once everything was ready, we gathered around the table, and as a gesture of kindness, I offered our guests the privilege of blessing the bread. He took the bread in both hands, lifted it heavenward, and began to pray with great sincerity and authority. I had never had a guest in my home pray in such a way. Much like his scriptural recitation, I found my heart and spirit lift as he blessed it. When he said, Amen, he looked at both of us with a wry smile, which intrigued me. He then broke the bread in half, and suddenly the shadow from our eyes had lifted. It was him. This man was more than a traveling companion more than an authoritative teacher. He was the very Son of God, the Messiah, with us in my home. I couldn't believe it. But no sooner had he broken the bread than he disappeared from our sight, leaving only the broken bread on the table as a reminder of what had just occurred to him. Cleopas spoke first, didn't our hearts burn with passion and faith as he taught us on the road? I didn't have to answer. We suddenly had a new burst of energy and knew this could not wait until the morning. Though it was another seven-mile journey, we had to get back to Jerusalem, find the disciples, and tell them what we had just experienced. 
The women were right. They had seen him. After all, in Jewish law, a matter was considered true on the testimony of two or three witnesses, and we clearly had that. <sighs> Why was I so quick to disbelieve? We ran as fast as we could. It took about two hours and took whatever strength we had remaining. Finding the disciples' meeting place, we convinced them that we were followers and to open the door for us. Breathlessly, we told them and the others gathered there of our story. Since they did not know us well, they were naturally hesitant. <laughs> but when we explained the blessing of the bread and all that happened after, some of them seemed encouraged. But most of them were, well, like me a few hours ago. I could understand their skepticism. Shalom. Came a sudden familiar voice in the room. Startled, everyone turned toward it and initially looked frightened. I instantly recognized it was Jesus. How did he get here? I quickly realized that the same man who instantly vanished from my house a couple hours ago also could suddenly supernaturally appear in another room. I was amazed. The disciples were slow to believe. Some thought it was his ghost. But Jesus showed them the scars on his hands and feet from the crucifixion, scars that could not be faked. And eventually the doubters gave way as everyone embraced Jesus and one another. As Cleopas and I walked back home the next morning for we had many chores to tend to, I kept asking the question, why us? I mean, why were we chosen for such an honor? We were never in his sight, even when we went to see him. Cleopas responded, maybe he did it because he actually loves us. I guess that is the answer. Rather than getting wrapped up in wise, I just needed to thank him and believe what my friend said. I guess Jesus saw me when I didn't think he did. I know that probably has a negative connotation, but I mean it in the most positive sense. Jesus saw me even when I didn't think he did. When I thought I was an outsider, he brought me into his family by his love and grace. He saw me. He sees you too, my friend. You can't live an anonymous life when it comes to Jesus. You're not invisible to him. He sees you. He knows you. He wants you. Have you noticed him showing up in your life? Protecting you when you thought it was just luck? Pulling you in like a magnet, wondering if you're ready to give him control? He's trying to bring you in. He's trying to bring you from the outside to the inside right into his beautiful presence. He already conquered death and hell. Would you let him conquer your heart today? Jesus is alive. He died for you. And he rose from the dead. And because he lives, I shall live also. I hope you have a wonderful Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday. I urge you, commemorate 
and celebrate. We appreciate you being a part of the MattCast. Please share this with a friend. We'd love to expand our MattCast family. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at mattcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. If you'd like more information or to hear our archives, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.